the turn of the century, if your family wanted to watch a movie, somebody had to get in the car and drive down the street to one of Blockbuster's 9,000 locations across America, and you had to stroll through aisles full of DVDs and Blu-rays and, and pick one out and walk up to the front counter and hand your membership card to a blue-clad employee who would check you out and remind you that if you brought your movie back, it would cost several times more than you spent, if you brought it back late, it would cost several times more than you spent to rent it. Blockbuster was everywhere. And in the year 2000, a man named Reed Hastings started a company. And he thought Blockbuster might be a good business partner. And so he scheduled a meeting with the CEO of Blockbuster, John Antioco, back in 2000, and went in and proposed a partnership. Reed got laughed out of the office. Blockbuster could see that some things were changing around about 2000, but they doubled down on their model of offering a video rental place that if you wanted to watch a movie, you had to go to their location to get it. And they began to offer popcorn and candy and books and toys. Reed went forward with his company, started a subscription service for movies. No late fees. You now know that company as Netflix. Just 10 years later, in 2010, Netflix became the largest source of streaming internet traffic in North America during peak hours, with over 20 million subscribers 10 years ago. Now they're up to 60 million subscribers in the USA. Blockbuster, however, only has one store left in a remote little town in Alaska. Blockbuster missed the turn, and they confused method with mission. Open your Bibles to Acts 11, starting in verse 19. Today I want to point your attention to a church in the book of Acts that has a lot to teach us. But it might not be the church you're thinking of. We so often look at the church uh, in Jerusalem and probably don't spend enough time studying the church at Antioch. We're going to look at that today. Here's the big idea this morning. The church exists to carry on the mission of Jesus. That's why we're here. The mission of Jesus, for the most part, happens outside our building. This morning you worshipped in someone's home Today, you can see the doors to our building over my shoulder. It's a reminder that our mission is not in here. It's out there. Our mission is to carry on the mission of Jesus. The church at Antioch in Acts 11 is such a great example of that. People often hold up the church in Jerusalem as being you know, the best example of the early church. But did you know that the church at Antioch is the only one in the whole New Testament to never have anything negative said about it? Say, now wait a minute, the church at Jerusalem was the mother church. Yes, but they had to deal with these Judaizer people that wanted Jewish Christians to, or Gentile Christians to have to become Jews <laughs> to follow Jesus. 
So what was it about that church at Antioch that made them such shining examples of, of carrying on the mission of Jesus? And what can Chapel Rock Christian Church learn from about that, about how to carry on our mission from them? Well, I think that there were three things that made that church such a standout church. First of all, they were like Jesus. Secondly, they were on mission. And thirdly, they were obedient to the Word of God. And we're going to drill down on those today. The same can be said of any church of the past 2,000 years. The, when the church in the past has reflected those three things, they have really been about Jesus' mission in the world. It's true, true of the church in the past, and it's true of the church in the future as well. The only course, the only option that's available to us is to be like Jesus, to be on mission, and to be obedient to the Word. That's the foundation of church life. Always has been, always will be. And I think it'll help us to take a more in-depth look at this. So look with me at Acts 19, starting in verse 30. Let's look at this. Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 30. No, not verse 30. Acts 11, starting in verse 19. There we go. <laughs> Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, he will later become known as the Apostle Paul, same guy, met with the church, and taught great numbers of people. Now look at this. Look, look, look. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted, or through the Spirit predicted, that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. See, Luke is grounding this story in history. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to help provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, like I said, there are three attributes that stand out about this church. Here's the first one. They were like Jesus. They were like Jesus. It's kind of buried in the middle of a passage there. Don't miss this. It's at Antioch that they were first called Christians. Now, prior to that, they'd been called uh, you know, followers of the way, <laughs> disciples, brothers, you'll see frequently mentioned in Acts. It's the church at Antioch that are first called Christians. They were so much like Jesus <laughs> that they were kind of given a nickname, a moniker, that identified them with the Lord. Nicknames are generally given because it describes someone's personality. Think about Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, right, kids? You've got Doc and Grumpy 
and happy and sleepy and bashful, sneezy, dopey, you know? They're nicknamed for what they're like. Now, kids, let me ask you, does anyone in your family have a nickname? Do you have someone in your family that you've given a nickname to? <laughs> we have uh, a nickname for our youngest little boy, Ephraim. Ephraim is two, and we call him the Framster. Sometimes Fram for short, but the Framster. Mainly because he's small, he's round, and he's good at making a mess. <laughs> he's the Framster. The word Christian means like Christ. That's what it means. It was really popular a few years ago for people to not use that word to, for Christians to use that, not use that word to describe themselves. They would use words like, I'm a Christ follower. <laughs> Have you heard people say that? I'm not a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. And I'll tell you why. There are three reasons why. First of all, everyone knows what you mean. You're not fooling anyone, okay? Secondly, if our culture has a negative perception of Christians, just calling yourself something else that's similar is not going to fix that. And number three, the term Christian might originally have been an insult. Do you understand that? Christian may have begun as a, maybe not a term of derision or, or mocking, but kind of a playful put-down, maybe would be a way to put it. Now, we don't know this for sure. The origin, though, may not have necessarily been kind. <laughs> the Christians, though, took that, and they saw it as a badge of honor. You mean you're going you're gonna to call me after my Lord and Savior? The one who died on the cross in my place for my sins and rose again on the third? You're going to call me by his title? The one who's like Christ, I'll take that all day long and twice on Sunday. See, the most important thing said about the church at Antioch is that they were like Jesus. That's the most important thing anyone could ever say about you. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to put on my tombstone when I die, but the greatest honor I could ever imagine is if it just said, <laughs> here lies Casey Scott, he was like Jesus. That'd be, that'd be the greatest honor I can think of. Later in verse 24, we see that when a church lives an authentically Christian life, when they really live like Jesus, word gets around. <laughs> Huge numbers of people are becoming Christians. When a church lives like Jesus, it gets results. The church has to look like Jesus. That's why the, one of the favorite images in the New Testament for the church is that we are the body of Christ. We're his body in the world. We have to look like him. The second most common image in the New Testament is the, is the image of family, that we look like, we resemble him. Several years ago, I took my kids to see the Lego movie. Have you had a chance to see the Lego movie? The main character in that movie, Emmett, is, has a life so ordinary, so boring, so conformed to the expectations of his culture that he's basically invisible. And my fear is that the church may be the same way. That we live a life so conformed to the expectations of our culture, so not like Jesus, that we become invisible. Church, if you want to stand out, 
If you want to be different from the world, you need to be like Jesus. That's the first reason that, that this church was so significant, so committed to the image of Christ is that they were like him. When the church is at its best, it looks like Jesus. But there's another attribute of the church at Antioch that we need to see. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Turn over maybe a few pages or, or, or a few swipes of the screen to Acts 13. The second thing they see, we, they were on mission, and in that sense, they were selfless. They were selfless. Every church that has ever existed had some kind of identity, and Antioch was known first for the people being like Jesus, but they were also known for their great preaching and teaching. Look with me at Acts chapter 13, starting in verse, in verse 1. Look at this with me. Acts 13, um, starting in, in the first verse here, if I can turn to it. Now look at this. It says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Antioch really is a standout church when it comes to preaching. They had prophets and teachers. Now, prophet there doesn't mean a teller of the future. It means a preacher. That's, that's the normal uh, idea behind the word prophet in the Bible, even in the Old Testament. The prophets did far more preaching as God's spokesman than they did telling the future. Now, that was a very minor aspect, actually, of what it meant to be a prophet in the Bible. And all of the men listed here are active in preaching and teaching. You've got Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manaean, and Saul. Again, that's the Apostle Paul, same guy. You've got five gifted preacher teachers who are also, as far as I can tell, a somewhat ethnically diverse group. <laughs> Man, what a great picture of what the church should be like. That's awesome. Antioch then becomes this sending church for Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. It also becomes kind of home base for Paul later on his various missionary journeys. This is really cool. I want you to see this. The church, at the direction of the Holy Spirit, sent two of the five guys who did most of their preaching and maybe two of their better communicators on a mission for years they were gone. It's amazing to me that they were that selfless. They were that committed to the mission of Jesus that they were so selfless. I mean, it would have been really easy for them to say, wow, guys, we've got such a great team here. It's diverse. We can reach a lot of different kinds of people. Everybody on this team is so gifted. We don't want to break this up. We don't want to mess this up. We need to stay engaged here. But they didn't do that, did they? Instead, they joyfully commissioned Barnabas and Saul, later called Paul, or also called Paul, to a broader preaching ministry, this mission to the whole Roman world. And these guys worked together as a team. It says that these five guys were worshiping and fasting, and as they did that, the Spirit spoke. And he sent them off on a church-planting mission like soldiers. That's another one of the main images that the New Testament uses to describe the church. Is like, we're like soldiers. We're, we're God's army. And they knew they were going on a mission to change the world. But they also knew that that was only half the story. 
later in Acts 11, 27 through 31. I would encourage you uh, to have somebody uh, read that there in your home. Go ahead and read that. In that passage, the leaders of the church at Antioch understood that they had a brotherly responsibility to the church in Jerusalem. The Antioch church earned the distinction of being the first church in history to take up an offering for someone other than their own members. When the church truly is carrying on the mission of Jesus, they're going to be focused on different things than the culture around them. Right? When, we're, when we're really committed to the mission of Jesus, it will make us far more selfless. We're going to be focused on making sure that no one goes without the help they need to thrive. We're also going to be focused on making sure that people hear the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus. It's not an either-or thing, church. It's a both-and thing. When you walk out these doors, you have a, a, a two-sided mission it's the same coin. It's two sides of the same coin. One is making sure that people hear the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus, but it's also about making sure that they have everything they need. It's really hard to respond to the gospel when you're starving. When the church is on mission, the gospel is preached, and society is more just and merciful. It's both. When we talk about wholeness here at Chapel Rock, that's what we mean. Both. We mean both. Coca-Cola made years at the Super Bowl, or made news a few years ago at the Super Bowl, when they um, had an ad where people sang "America the Beautiful" in all sorts of different languages. And regardless of what you think about this, you can't ignore the fact <laughs> that 97 percent of the people on planet Earth have heard of Coca-Cola. This this blows my mind. Do you know what the number one recognized word on planet Earth is? It's the word okay. You go practically anywhere in the world and say okay, and people will know what you mean. You know what the number two most commonly recognized word on planet Earth is? Coca-Cola. Practically anywhere you go on the planet, if you say Coca-Cola, people know what you mean. Now, this blows me away. 80% of the population of the world has tried it. 97% of the world has heard of it. 80% of the population of the world, what's that, up to that, it's like 7 billion people have tried Coke. How in the world did that happen? Well, I'll tell you. Robert Woodruff was the CEO of Coca-Cola from 1923 to 1955. 
he said, he, he sent out a memo to the company, and he said, our mission is to make sure that everyone on planet Earth has had a chance to try Coca-Cola. The mission was selfless. It wasn't about lining the pockets of their stockholders. It was about making sure that everyone had a chance to hear about and try their product. It was a selfless mission. And here's the thing. Coca-Cola's only been around for 130 years. They, they, they literally just about got this mission done. They've almost, everyone on planet Earth has heard of it, certainly. And most people, a large majority, have had a chance to try it. It's been said that if God would have given the task of global evangelization to the Coca-Cola company, it'd be done by now. They've only been around 130 years. I don't know about that, because I think we have a better product. I don't know about you, but I'd much rather have Jesus than a Coke. <laughs> the point is, Jesus came here on a mission to restore the relationship between God and humanity and to restore the relationships between humans and other humans, <laughs> people. The church is at its best when we're selfless about the mission Jesus gave us, when we're on mission, on the same mission. Jesus was the, the, the most selfless human being who ever walked the face of the earth. He gave himself for us. We didn't deserve it. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And when we're selfless like Jesus, it'll change the world. There's one more attribute of the Antioch church that, that deserves our attention. Turn with me um, to Acts 15. Okay? Turn over to Acts 15. The final thing I want to see is that they were obedient to the word. Okay? This is a long chapter. We don't have time to read all of it. Um, the core of what you need to know is this, that there were some Jewish Christians who traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch, and they were basically teaching the Gentile Christians that they had to become Jewish to follow Jesus. Look with me at Acts 15, starting in verse 2. Look at this. It says that this teaching brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything that God had done through them. It's a, that's a crucial passage. The key idea here is that the church at Antioch was obedient to the word. In this case, the word being the, the teaching of the apostles. In the face of teaching that was at variance with what they had heard, the, the gospel that they had heard proclaimed that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, we're all one in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says in Galatians 2. In, in, in the face of this teaching, they're like, wait a minute, what you guys are saying doesn't match up with what we heard. We need to go talk to the apostles about this because, of course, the Bible hadn't been written by that point. And once they, they had a chance to go talk to the apostles and hear their teaching, they happily obeyed. They were obedient to the word. Later in the chapter, Peter makes it clear that the two men who came, these men who came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, you know, did so without the authorization of the Jerusalem church leaders. They didn't, they didn't talk to the apostles about this. They kind of had their own idea about Christianity, and they said, we're going to go teach people that. <laughs> now, these people were called Judaizers, and Paul is going to have to argue with them for the rest of his ministry. 
All right, later, uh, we read in Acts 15, verse 16 through 18, that James, the brother of Jesus, will make an appeal to scriptures. He actually references Amos chapter 9, verse 11 through 12, as a guide for how the church should handle this issue of Gentile uh, Christians. So the, the leaders of the Jerusalem church write a letter to, to the church there uh, in Antioch. And I want you to read that. It's so good. Let's just pause for a second. And I want someone there in your house to read Acts 15, starting in verse 30 through verse 35. You read that now. The two things that verified the work and plan of God among the Gentiles for those of the Jerusalem church are the same things that have always guided the church. The Spirit, referenced in Acts 15.12, and the Word of God, referenced in Acts 15.16-17. Now here's what's foundational for us to understand, church. In the face of false teaching, the leaders of the church at Antioch sought out the apostles. They went and, and, and went looking for what is the word? What does the word say to us? And these are the men who knew Jesus. So before, before we had a written Bible, what the church had was the teaching of the apostles. And when they were faced with a difficult decision, they, they sought out the word, the teaching from the apostles, which later is written down and becomes our Bible. And that became their authority. And I want you to hear me. I really want you to understand this. For us here at Chapel Rock, and I hope for every church, biblical authority is always going to be greater than church tradition. Tradition isn't bad. It's not a bad thing. It's fine. But it can't ever outrank biblical authority. And so where the Bible says something that, is, that overrides our traditions, our traditions need to bend in, in favor of what the Bible says. The Bible says we need to be on mission, and that mission exists outside these doors for the most part. You have an opportunity in the middle of a pandemic to be on mission for Jesus. You need to hear this, church, because the mission must succeed. The mission has to succeed. No matter how we meet, no matter where we meet, the mission must trump everything. And our traditions have to flex and bend in favor of biblical authority and the mission of the church. Everybody submits to something. It might be your significant other, kids. It's probably your parents. <laughs> it might be your boss. Maybe it's our culture's standard of beauty. 
Maybe it's an addiction. It might be an obsession with a hobby. It might be your teachers. Everybody submits to something. It might even be the fear of a disease. Everyone submits. The question is, to what? Can I suggest to you that the church is at its best when we happily submit to the Word of God? When we happily obey it, we are at our best. And when we do that, we're carrying on the mission of Jesus. Church, we are facing a time of unprecedented change. Started about 25 years ago, and it's only picked up steam ever since. And this pandemic is like pouring gas on a fire. It's really challenging to face that change and know what to do. You should have gotten a letter from me this week that just kind of outlines, here's where we think we're going next um, we're trying to be, as, for a large church, to be as nimble as we can and be responsive to that. I'm convinced, beyond all doubt, though, that the church's answer to the challenges of our time is not hidden in some blog on churchleaders.com. All right? it's, it's not at a conference that costs hundreds of dollars to send our staff to. It's not locked away in the dark recesses of the mind of a paid church consultant. Rather... Here's the answer to the challenge of our time. It's our big idea. The church exists to carry on the mission of Jesus. That's why we're here. That's what we will do. I don't know what the future holds, except that it holds this for Chapel Rock. We will carry on the mission of Jesus no matter what. If you're as committed to that, if we band together as a body to do that, it doesn't matter that we can't all gather here. We can do that wherever we are. Now, I can't wait to gather with you. My soul is anxious and longing for it. But until that day comes, we're still going to be on mission. We're still going to be on mission. We're going to be like Jesus. We're going to be selfless. And we're going to be obedient to the word. So how are you going to do that? In order for you to be like Jesus, you need to surrender your life to him. If you've never done that, if you don't know that you're going to see him when you die, I want to encourage you to, to, to make the decision to follow Christ, to be baptized, to receive the Spirit of God in your life. You can type that in the chat. You can email info at chapelrock.org. We'll follow up with you. We, the building might be close to the general public, but we can still schedule a baptism and, and practice proper sanitation um, uh, you know, routines to make sure that you're safe. Um, we'll wear a mask if we need to, but we can do a baptism. If you're ready to follow Jesus and you want to do that, we can do that. Maybe you need to realize that, that you, um, you need to be part of a group and you haven't been. We have a few of our life groups now that are, you know, a lot of them are meeting over Zoom. A few of them are open. Like they're, they're welcoming new people to Zoom in. And if you need to, if you've never connected with a group and you want to right now, if you're just dying to talk to people, <laughs> you can do that. Now, Zoom meetings are a little more exhausting than meeting in person, but it's still great to do that. And so you can go to our website, okay? And, and, and uh, I think it's in uh, ministries and adults. You can find that in there. And uh, they may correct me on the bottom of the screen. Whatever the bottom of the screen says is right, <laughs> okay? And you can do that. 
maybe you're just tired of all the upheaval and it's just really starting to wear on your soul and you need to pray with somebody, I would encourage you just type that in the chat. Someone, one of our online pastors will reach out to you. Maybe the whole, get, get everybody in there praying for you. That's awesome. I want to encourage you to recommit your life to Jesus right now. Recommit yourself to the mission of Jesus, to be like Jesus, to be selfless, and to be obedient to the word. Will you do that today? Let's pray together. God, thank you for this church. I love them, Lord, not even remotely as much as you do. I pray, God, through this season, when things are so different for us, that we would not confuse method with mission. Help us be on mission for you today, Jesus. We love you. We want to be like you. We want to be selfless like you were. We want to be obedient to the word of God like you were. Help us do that by your spirit. I pray for each one listening today that you just bless them this week. Um, Keep them safe and healthy until we can gather again uh, one day, hopefully soon. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.